Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Why don't you tell somebody next to you, I am not a fool, while you sit down. somebody on the other side don't be a fool because this is our month that we are pursuing wisdom I hope that you pursue it every day and every month of your life but throughout the month of July we as a church are reading through the book of Proverbs last week we started a devotional together reading a proverb every single day and we have set our intentions who's enjoying reading through the book of Proverbs together how good is it I love reading books of the Bible kind of in chunks like that you begin to see themes and patterns and what God is speaking through the text, and I have just loved reading the book of Proverbs together. I think if you, if you haven't done it already, you can jump in now. You can start at the beginning or you can just jump in in the middle. More Proverbs is better for your life than less Proverbs for your life. So don't worry if you got started late. But our mission, our goal this month is to get wisdom. Can somebody say get wisdom? Proverbs 4 and 7 says, in the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. And though it costs you everything, get understanding. And that is our goal for this month, is to go after the things of wisdom. To make sure that when we leave on the other side of this, that we have grown in our wisdom. That we have increased in the wisdom of God in our life. Not just the wisdom of man, not just the wisdom of the world, not just the wisdom that we can search or that we can find. But wisdom that comes from heaven. And can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story about my dad? I know, I didn't really get it signed off on, but I feel like I've provided years worth of content on his behalf and it is now my turn to utilize some of the content that is available to me. And he's not here today, so I will know if you tell on me while he's preaching in Georgia somewhere. So this last week, or maybe the week before, dad came into the office and he was in the office and he was getting ready to do some Zoom calls. He's been doing these mentorship calls with young leaders and young pastors and he had like a day of several calls set up and he had left mom at home and come into the office by himself and he had his laptop set up and he was had calls in a few minutes and he said, yeah, I've got these calls and I've got my computer and da da da. So before I headed into my meetings, I said to him, are you all good? Do you need anything? You have everything set up. Because I know that my father is not the most tech-savvy human being on the planet. And he says to me, no, no, no. I'm a Zoom expert these days. I got it. And I was like, okay. Sounds good. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, I come out of my office to head to my meeting, and I see him walking out of his office, laptops in hand. And everybody knows that this right here is the posture of a problem. Nobody comes walking around in hallways with their laptops like this unless there is an issue at hand. And he says, I can't get logged in. 
I knew how to get logged in, but it's not logging in, and my call's in a couple minutes. Can you help me? Which this is a little bit the blind leading the blind because I am actually not very technologically savvy either. The only thing I have on him at this point is the fact that I am about 25 years younger than he is. Therefore, I am slightly more familiar with the technology. But in general, this is not my forte. So it is the two of us looking at the computer. It's got pop-ups. It's asking questions that it doesn't normally ask. It wants to reroute. And you know when you're trying to get it, we're like, yes, agree, agree, agree. Yes, no skip, nothing. We don't need to download anything that's going to take extra time. Agree, agree. I think it's like, will you sell your firstborn child? And I'm like, yes, agree. Wait, that's me. Hold on. We'll deal with it later. Agree, agree. Yes. We finally get everything through. It starts loading the page. It starts logging on. And he says to me these famous words, I knew what to do when it does what it's supposed to do. Who's ever had that feeling in life? You're like, well, I knew what to do when things were going like they're supposed to go. I know what to do when I log in and the login page pops up and I click sign in and it takes my password and it loads my meeting. But when it doesn't do the expected route, when it doesn't, does anybody remember MapQuest and you would like print out your directions and you were like, I'm good to go. Except for when you would get to a road and the road that it said now has orange barrels in front of it and you did not have the option to just reroute, you would be like, I knew where I was going until where I was going was no longer. I knew what I was doing until wisdom steps into the place when things don't go as they're supposed to go. When the this is not supposed to be here moment in my life happens is when wisdom really comes into play. I knew how to run my business when everything was tracking the way they taught me in business school that it was supposed to track. But then a curveball came into the system and now I don't know if I know how to do it the way I knew how to parent my children when they were responding to the techniques that I had read about in the book. But now they're not doing what that expert told me they would do in in response to the thing, I knew what to do when I was a marketing manager, but then social media entered the picture and it totally changed the game. And now I don't know if I know what to do anymore. And I know how to be a social media manager, but this last weekend they went and uh, released a brand new platform on me. And now we're threading and I don't know what's going on anymore because I knew what to do when everything was working. As if, I don't know if anything in your life has ever gone not like it's supposed to go. But I often feel like I know what to do as long as everything's doing what it's supposed to do in my life. But as soon as things start doing what they're not supposed to do, as soon as life starts lifing on me, all of the sudden I'm not quite sure I know what to do anymore. And wisdom is not just knowing what to do when things are going as they're supposed to go. And wisdom is not just knowing how to respond when everyone responds as they ought to. Wisdom is knowing what to do in the I don't know moments of my life. In the this is not supposed to be this way. This was not supposed to go this way. This is not how this was supposed to be. And it's in those moments that we call on wisdom 
and say, God, I need wisdom from heaven because this is not supposed to be like this. Can you teach me? Can you guide me? Is there direction from heaven on what I am supposed to do in the not supposed to be this way moments of my life? Last week we talked about how Solomon asked God for wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, if you want to turn there again, right after we stopped last week, it makes sense then if they say then Solomon became the wisest man that ever lived and he received wisdom from heaven, that it would walk us into this account of how Solomon used his wisdom. In 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 16, this is what it says. It says, and then two prostitutes came to the king, and they stood before him. And the one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child when she was in the house. And then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. And there was no one else in the house with us. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose in the midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And when I rose in the morning the nurse, to nurse my child, behold, my child was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, it was not the child that I had borne. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. And the first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living one is mine. And thus they went on before the king. Solomon has a not supposed to be this way moment before him. None of this is as it should be. These two women have come before him, not just with a problem about our property and not just with a situation about their finances. They have come before him in the midst of a situation of heartbreak. One woman has woken to find her child lying dead beside her and she has in her fury and in her confusion and in her heartbreak apparently swapped the children in hopes of still maintaining a child. They are heartbroken heartbroken and devastated and they cannot find an answer and so they come to Solomon and this is the scene that is playing out before Solomon and it says and then the king said one says this is my son that is alive and your son is dead and the other says no but your son is dead and this this son is living he repeats him he says let me make sure I have this straight let me make sure we're saying what I think that we're saying and then the king said bring me a sword So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. And then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my lord, give the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him, go ahead then. And then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment of the king, and they rendered and stood in awe of him, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Wisdom is there for the not supposed to be this way moments of your life. 
wisdom is there when we encounter things that we say, this should not be. Can you imagine Solomon taking in this information, the additional questions that he has about how we even got to this place in our situation and how we even got to this moment in the story and all of the things that he could go back and say, well, you never should have done X and you never should have done Y and you never should have done Z. There are so many steps that should have been taken along the way to ensure that we never even got to this place, that we were never even in the position that we're in. But guess what? We don't always have the luxury of going back and rectifying what should have never happened in the first place to prevent us from getting to this place. Instead, we have to rightly look at, and this is where we are, and this is the scenario at hand, and the situation is that Solomon has two women in front of him who are both saying that the baby that they have is the baby that belongs to them and that the other woman's baby is the baby that's dead. And Solomon's solution to this is go get me a sword, I'll cut it in half and both of you can have half of it. Wisdom cannot be replicated. Wisdom is not a formula. What I'm saying is, should you ever find yourself in a similar scenario, I do not recommend that you take Solomon's tactic of going and getting a sword and threatening to cut the baby in half. Because wisdom is what to do in this moment, in this situation, right here. It's why you can't take somebody else's wisdom and apply it in your life all of the time. You can't take what worked in somebody else's scenario and try to force it to work right here. You can learn from somebody else, but if you try to make their wisdom a formula in your life, you will find out that what worked for them doesn't work for you because there was a spirit of wisdom that was on Solomon that directed the path and the moment and the thing that he should do for this exact moment. You can learn from other people, but if you're going to walk in a spirit of wisdom, you have to continually say, God, what is the response for this moment, for this thing, for right now? How can I answer in this scenario and and in this situation, because everything that comes up to you will not have the solution that you need from somebody else's scenario because they've never stood where you stood. And they've never looked at these two women. And they've never been responsible for the outcome of this scenario. And wisdom from heaven came over Solomon and he said, what do I do? Bring me a sword. And when he said, bring me a sword, the one woman even though it was her baby, said, give it to the other one. Give it to her. Let her have it. Let her have it because she saw that it was better that the baby would live with somebody else than it was for her to win in this moment right now. And the woman whose baby it wasn't said, fine then, divide it and neither of us will have it then. The anger on the inside of her and the hurt on the inside of her said, go ahead and split the baby and give her half and give me half. Foolishness will have you sacrificing your future for today's win time and time again. This woman said, go ahead then. I'll win today's fight. 
I'll win today's moment. I'll win this moment right here. I'll get what I wanted in this scenario. And in the midst of doing it, the baby represents for us the future. The baby represents for us their tomorrow. The baby represents for us what is about to come in their life. And the woman, the second woman said, I would rather win right here. I would rather feel justified right here. I would rather walk away today saying, I got what I came for today than see the future prevail and the other woman though the baby was hurt though she was justified though she had every right though she could have stuck her heels down and said I told you that was my baby she said I'd rather take an L for the fact of my future I'd rather step back to see the future prevail I'd rather become less if it means that the future gets to succeed and gets to go on to have another tomorrow how many times are you sacrificing your your tomorrow for your right now how many times have you sacrificed your future for what you want in this moment how many times have you sacrificed what could be down your line so you can feel good today so you can win the fight today so you can get that high today so you can get jumped up today and in the midst of it your tomorrow is suffering you've taken draws out of your retirement so you can have a vacation today and your tomorrow is dying because of it you went out to a party because you felt like you earned it and you deserved it today and your scholarship is suffering because of it for your tomorrow. You won that argument with your spouse today. Oh, you took it all the way to the end. But your tomorrow, you sacrificed your marriage because of it because you wanted to win today. You wanted to have a big grand wedding for everybody and you took out debt because of it and you sacrificed the future of your marriage on the altar of having a win today. How many times does foolishness walk us down a road where we say, I'd rather win this fight today than I would have my tomorrow. Stop sacrificing today for your future. She says, I'd rather win today. But the wise woman says, I'd take an L today if it means that the future goes on. The wise woman says, I'll come back off of what's owed me if it means that the future gets to grow. What is in your future that's worth wisdom? What is in your future that's worth you leaning back on today and saying, let my future grow? And I have to think that when Solomon sat down to pen words of wisdom to his son, and say, I want to teach you the things that I've learned. And I want to teach you how to walk in this life. And I want to impart in you the ways of wisdom that were imparted to me from heaven. I have to think that he remembered this moment. And I had to think that he thought of two women standing before him when he began to personify wisdom and folly in the form of these two females all throughout the book of Proverbs. And he said, I remember two women that came before me and one of them was wise and one of them sacrificed, that was willing to sacrifice their tomorrow for the sake of today. And what I want you to know, my son, is that if you're going to pursue wisdom... Start with the fear of the Lord. He says, you want to know what the gateway is to wisdom? You want to get wisdom with all of your getting? It starts with the fear of the Lord. 
He says it in Proverbs 1 and 7. Look at this, Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He repeats it again in Proverbs 9. In Proverbs 9 and 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When he is teaching his son and he says, I want you to live your life on a pathway that pursues wisdom. I want you to live your life on a pathway that is after the knowledge of the Holy One. And when you get started on that road, the gateway to entering into that space is a fear of the Lord. There are all kinds of things that will vie for your fear. There are all kinds of things that will vie for your attention. There are all kinds of things that want to hold on to you and that want to grasp where you're going and want to capture your heart and capture your mind. And he says, I don't want you to fear any of those things. He says, my son, don't live in fear of failure. You can't live your life in fear of failing someday. A fear of failure will captivate you in a way that causes your feet to get stuck. Will captivate you in a way that causes you to second guess every decision that you make until you can't move in a decision anymore. It will cause you to take safe steps, but never to take God-given steps. It will cause you to look for a way. In fact, part of what I want you to learn in life is that you can fail and survive it. Part of what I want you to learn in life is that you can trip and get up again. Part of what I want you to know in life is that when you fail, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother for you. Part of what I want you to know in life is that you will fail and you will come out on the other side of it. You can't live your life with a fear of failure any more than you can live your life with a fear of your future. Stuck wondering what's coming down the road. Stuck wondering, will I ever be enough? Stuck wondering, do I have what it takes to conquer that thing or accomplish that thing? Stuck wondering which way the wind is going to blow and which way the market is going to turn and what's going to happen. Stuck wondering and losing out on the joy of today for the sake of a fear of what tomorrow may or may not have in it. Stuck fearing about how my kids are going to grow up and stuck fearing about what's happening in the schooling system. Stuck fearing about all of the things that when Jesus talked about it, he said in Matthew, tomorrow has enough fears of its own, has enough worry of its own. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Why do we steal and rob our todays stuck in this fear of the future? And he tells them, I don't want you to live your life in fear of your friends or of your enemies. Do not live your life in fear of what other people might do, of how they're going to respond to you, or of how they're coming at you, or what their opinion is of you. You cannot live your life in fear of someone else's response to the thing that you are called to do. And you cannot live your life in fear of other people's opinions. And you cannot live your life in fear of who might like you, and who doesn't like you, and who's trying to come after you, and who's not trying to... You cannot living your life in that manner will constrain you and confine you 
and overwhelm you and shrink you back to far less than God ever intended for you to be. And I can see some of our older saints shaking their heads yes because after you live for a little while, you find out that you can't win for trying with some people. And you live your life in fear of how your aunt is going to respond to the new career path you've taken. And you never go after the thing that God put in you and the thing that God called you to. Because you are too afraid that your family is not going to respond to it well. And you're too afraid that somebody's going to attack you for it. You're too afraid for the opinions or the way they're going to talk about you or the way they're going to gossip about you. Let me just let you know they're going to talk about you and they're going to gossip about you any way so you might as well go after the thing that God put in you if you're going to talk about me at least you're going to talk about me for the thing that God put on the inside of me at least you're going to talk about me for going after something at least you're going to talk about me because I put it all on the line and I said I have no fear of failing at this thing because I can survive it and I have no fear of my future because I can't control it anyway and I have no fear of you because that's not who I report my life to. I do not fear any of these things. Solomon said, if you want to get on the path of wisdom, fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Live your life in a fear of who God is. In a stance that says, I stand in holy awe. I carry reverence in my heart. I hold a holy wonder for who he is, that he made me, that he called me, that he knows me, that his ways are better than my ways, that he knows the beginning from the end, so I might as well be found in his paths of righteousness. Living in a fear of the Lord is living in a way that causes us to hold our heads high and look toward heaven and say, God, which way would you have me to go? Which way would you have me to move? What thing would you have me to speak? My fear is not my fear of my future or my fear of failure or my fear of my friends or my fear of my enemies, God. My fear is not being found in your way. My fear is not being found in your house. My fear is not being found in the rhythm, in the calling, in the plan, in the purpose, in the good and perfect will of the Father. My fear, God, is that your heart would be displeased with me. My fear is that you would never shine your eyes on me. The place I want to be found is in your presence. Living in a fear of the Lord is standing in a holy awe and a wonder that causes me to adjust my life to his wills and to his purpose and to his desire. God, I want to be found in you. So if it means laying down what I feel justified of, then let it be that. If it means it looks like I take an L today for the sake of my future, then let it be that. If it means that sometimes I step back when I want to step forward, God, let it be that. 
God, if it means that all of my desires become secondary to your desires, then let it be that, God. God, if it means that all of my cravings become secondary to the thing that you crave for me, to the thing that you have called me to, then let it be that, God. I want to be found with a fear of the Lord. I want to be found with a life that is pleasing unto you, God. Let me live my life in a fear of who you are. That is the start of wisdom in our lives. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling the people of God for a second time the will and the plans and the things of God. And he begins to recount to them what it is to live in the fear of the Lord. It's in Deuteronomy, I think chapter 10. Yeah, yeah, check out that memory. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. It says, and now Israel, who does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. He says, I am commanding you today to walk in the fear of the Lord. I command you to walk in the fear of the Lord, and it is for your good. And then he tells them, this is how you walk in the fear of the Lord. You want the beginning of wisdom? You want the gateway to living in the wise life? It starts with the fear of the Lord. And what does the fear of the Lord look like? It looks like living in his ways. Loving him for who he is, laying down your life and following his law. You want to follow the things of the Lord. You want to walk in a fear of the Lord. Then you live and you love and you lay down and you follow his laws. He says, I need you to walk in these ways. I need you to live in the way of the Lord. That means in your every day, day to day, walking in the ways that he has guided you, living your life. Day by day, the first believers said, day by day they walked in the things of God. Day by day they lived lives that looked like God. Day by day they walked in awareness of a fear of the Lord that said, God, where would you take us today? He said, the faith that I have for you is a faith of walking in my ways, is a faith of every day of your life, living out the faith in a way that others could look at it and see that there is something different about who you are and could know that you are a follower of the most high God. His faith is not a faith of outrage. Some of us live our faith in an outrage style faith that pops up every so often. Every so often something hits one of our buttons and every time we become outraged by something in the world behaving as the world should behave in the ways that it follows and in the things in the system in line with them, we become outraged in our faith. And the only time somebody knows that you're a believer is when something in culture comes up and presses your particular button in such a way that now all of the sudden you want to pick it and you want to outrage and you want to, I can't believe they're going to, and I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to post about it all weekend and I'm crazy mad about it. And now you're outraged in your faith, but you have not, you know what's outrageous to me? That you've been at that job for 18 months and nobody at your workplace knows that you're a believer of Jesus. That for 18 months in your day-by-day living, you've been showing up there and nobody knows that you have access to streams of living water. 
that day by day in your daily walk, when you walk in the fear of the Lord in your day by day, it ought to have come up over 18 months that I have access to the King of Kings. And hey, if you ever need prayer in your life, I'm your person. If you ever need access to something, let me help you with that. If you ever want to talk to God, I know how you can get to him. It ought to have come up in 18 months. But no, the only way that we know to demonstrate our faith is every six to eight months when we get outraged about something something and we explode about it. But he says living in the fear of the Lord is the way that we walk in his ways. The way that we live our lives in reverence to who he is. He says it's loving him. It's loving him with all of your heart, mind, and soul. That my heart is turned towards you, God. That my heart is in awe of who you are. My heart, God, is soft before you and is tender to your reproach and tender to your correction. Because I love who you are and I love your ways, God. And he says it's serving. It's laying down what I have in response to what he has. How do I serve your purpose, God? How do I serve your plans, God? How does my business become a reflection of who you have called me to be? How do I show up to my studies, God, as a servant of the Lord Most High? I lay down everything that I want to pursue, God, in response to the things that you have asked me to serve in and the way that you have called me to respond. And then he says, obey my commands. Follow my laws. Follow the way, the way that I say that life is to work. I created the heavens and the earth. I created the whole thing and brought it into existence. His ways are better than your ways. And the way that we live in a fear of the Lord is by walking in line with his commands. And walking in line with his plans and his purpose for our life. This is the gateway to wisdom. This is the doorway that says, are you going to live a life that goes goes after wisdom. If you want to get wisdom, you have to walk through the pathway of the fear of the Lord. You have to walk into a door that says, God, I fear your ways and I fear your plans and I stand in holy awe and I stand in reverence of who you are, God. This is the place I have decided to start my life. And this is the place that I have decided that everything else in my life turns and moves and revolves around what does God say about it. And and how does God respond to it? And what does God think of me? And what does his words say about my life? And what do his ways say about the way that I walk and I move and I think and I feel? God, this is the path that I have decided to walk on. The way of wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord. It begins with fearing who God is. With standing in the reverence of him. And our picture for what it's like. To live life in fear of the Lord is the picture of Jesus who came and walked on the earth. Who came and lived in total connection with the heavenly father. He lived his life walking day by day as one connected to heaven. He lived his life as a way of saying, I am in love with God and with the thing that he has called me to be. He served in such a way that he said, I would lay down my whole life even unto death. And he followed his, his commands. He followed the law that God had given him. He said, God, if you say move, that's when I move, God. If you say hold back, that's 
that's when I hold back, God. I want to be found in your pathway. Jesus is the embodiment of living in the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God wrapped in flesh. Jesus is what it looks like and what it is like to walk around filled and saturated with the wisdom of God. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 3, it says this about Jesus. It says, in him whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus, we have wrapped everything of who God's wisdom and what God's knowledge is. It says that he was the wisdom and the word that was there in the beginning. It means that he was the very thought of God, the very wisdom of God that set all of creation into order. And he is the wisdom of God that spoke to Solomon and he is the wisdom of God that came and wrapped itself in flesh and walked around among us and said this is what it's like to live a life in fear of the Lord to walk a life that follows on his plans and follows on his paths Jesus is the wisdom of God we begin our pathway to wisdom living a life in fear of the Lord and Jesus is our access to God Jesus is our access to bring us back into right relationship with God. Jesus is our touch point that says, you are so far removed from who the Father is. And you are so distant. If it wasn't for me and if it wasn't for him and if it wasn't for the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of us would be the foolish woman who says, I would rather win today than I would to see my future. I would rather fulfill today's desires. I would rather live in this present moment than think about what's coming down the line, but the power of the Holy Spirit fills us to bring us into relationship with Jesus, who brings us back into the throne room of the Father and says, you can now live your life in a fear of the Lord. If you want to live a life of wisdom, you have to live a life in relationship with Jesus. You have to live a life with a heart yielded to Jesus that says, you are my Savior. You are the one who has called me home. You are the one who has led me by your gracious hand. You are the good shepherd who leads me in your paths of righteousness. You are the good shepherd who even though I'm in my darkest moment and in my darkest valley has been there with me all along. You want to know what wisdom looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how to access wisdom? Access Jesus. You want to live a life in the fear of the Lord that puts you on a path to righteousness? Come into relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God in flesh. Jesus is the wisdom of God as an example to you and to me. Jesus is the one who says, this is what it looks like to walk around with the wisdom of God filling your heart and your mind and your soul. If you want to be wise, you have to walk like Jesus. And if you want to be wise, you have to walk with Jesus. If you want to seek wisdom, you have to be a follower of Jesus. If you want the wisdom that comes straight from heaven. If you want the wisdom that gets pardoned, not wisdom that you can find in a book, wisdom that you find in the person of Jesus. If you want to stand and live a life in the fear of who God is, you have to live a life that says, Jesus, I can't do it without you. And Jesus, I can't walk that way without you. And Jesus, I can't search enough. I just have to be found with who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who walks you into wisdom.
He walks you into how to fear the Lord. He walks you into how to live a life in light of his holiness. And for so many of us today, today is about to be your day to say, I want to live a life with Jesus. Everyone who can, standing with me. In Proverbs 22, it says that the reward for, fear, for the fear of God is riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22 and I think verse 4, it says the reward for the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Too often we sacrifice our today because we think we're pursuing riches and honor and life for this moment. But in the midst of doing it, we sacrifice the seed that would walk us into our true riches and honor and life. Because true riches and honor and life are only found in him.